Chapter 11 of The Star Chamber, An Historical Romance, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Star Chamber, Volume 1, by William Harrison Ainsworth. Chapter 11. John Wolfe. When Jocelyn Monchancy called for his reckoning, Madame Bonaventure took him aside, showing, by her looks, that she had something important to communicate to him, and began by telling him he was heartily welcome to all he had partaken of at her ordinary, adding that she considered herself very greatly his debtor for the gallantry and zeal he had displayed in her behalf. "'Not that I was in any real peril, my fair young sir,' she continued, "'though I feign to be so, for I have powerful protectors, as you perceive, and indeed this was all a preconcerted scheme between my lord Roos and his noble friends,' to turn the tables on the two extortioners. But that does not lessen my gratitude to you, and I shall try to prove it. You are in more danger than, perchance, you wot of, and I feel quite sure Sir Giles means to carry his threat into execution and to cause your arrest. Seeing him smile disdainfully, as if he had no apprehension, she added, somewhat quickly, What will your bravery avail against so many, mon beau gentilhomme? Mon Dieu, nothing. No, no, I must get you assistance. Luckily I have some friends at hand, the prentices, Grane Fourgaya avec de Istac. Cyprion has told me they are here. Most certainly they will take your part. So Sir Giles shall not carry you off after all. Jocelyn's lips again curled with the same disdainful smile as before. Aïe vous êtes trop temeraire, Madame Bonaventure cried, tapping his arm. Sit down here for a while. I will give you the signal when you may depart with safety. Do not attempt to stir till then, you understand? Jocelyn did not understand very clearly, but without making any observation to the contrary, he took the seat pointed out to him. The position was well chosen, inasmuch as it enabled him to command the movements of the foe, and offered him a retreat through a side door close at hand, though he was naturally quite ignorant whither the outlet might conduct him. While this was passing, Sir Giles was engaged in giving directions respecting his partner, whose inebriate condition greatly scandalized him, and it was in pursuance of his orders that Sir Francis was transported to the wharf where the misadventure before related befell him. Never for a moment did Sir Giles's watchful eye quit Jocelyn, upon whom he was ready to pounce like a tiger, if the young man made any movement to depart, and he only waited till the tavern should be clear of company to effect the seizure." Meanwhile, another person approached the young man. This was the friendly stranger in the furled gown and flat cap, who had sat next to him at dinner, and who, it appeared, was not willing to abandon him in his difficulties. Addressing him with much kindness, the worthy personage informed him that he was a bookseller named John Wolfe, and carried on business at the sign of the Bible and Crown in Paul's churchyard, where he should be glad to see the young man, whenever he was free to call upon him. But I cannot disguise from you, Master Jocelyn Monchancy, for your dispute with Sir Francis Mitchell has acquainted me with your name, John Wolfe said, that your rashness has placed you in imminent peril, so that there is but little chance for the present of my showing you the hospitality and kindness I desire. Sir Giles seems to hover over you as a rapacious vulture might do before making his swoop. Heaven shield you from his talons. And now, my good young sir, accept one piece of caution from me, which my years and kindly feelings towards you entitle me to make. And you scape this danger, as I trust you may. Let it be a lesson to you to put a guard upon your tongue, and not suffer it to outrun your judgment. 
you are much too rash and impetuous, and by your folly, nay, do not quarrel with me, my young friend, I can give no milder appellation to your conduct, have placed yourself in the power of your enemies. Not only have you provoked Sir Francis Mitchell, whose malice is more easily aroused than appeased, but you have defied Sir Giles Mompesson, who was equally implacable in his enmities. And as if two such enemies were not enough, you must needs make a third yet more dangerous than either. How so, good Master Wolf? Jocelyn cried. To whom do you refer? To whom should I refer, Master Jocelyn? Wolf rejoined. But to my lord of Buckingham, whom you wantonly insulted. For the latter indiscretion there can be no excuse, whatever there may be for the former. And it was simple madness to affront a nobleman of his exalted rank, second only in authority to the king himself. But how have I offended the Marquis? demanded Jocelyn, surprised. Is it possible you can have spoken at random, and without knowledge of the force of your own words? John Wolfe rejoined, looking hard at him. It may be so, for you are plainly ignorant of the world. Well then, he added, lowering his voice, when you said that these two abominable extortioners were the creatures of some great man, who glozed over their villainous practices to the king, and gave a better account of them than they deserve, you are nearer the truth than you imagined. But it can hardly be agreeable to the Marquis to be told this to his face, since it is notorious to all, except to yourself, that he is the man. Heavens! exclaimed Jocelyn. I now see the error I have committed. A grave error indeed, rejoined Wolfe, shaking his head, and most difficult to be repaired, for the plea of ignorance, though it may suffice with me, will scarcely avail you with the Marquis. Indeed, it can never be urged, since he disowns any connection with these men, and it is suspected that his half-brother, Sir Edward Villiers, goes between them in all their secret transactions. Of this, however, I know nothing personally, and only tell you what I have heard. But if it were not almost treasonable to say it, I might add that His Majesty is far too careless of the means whereby his exchequer is enriched, and his favorites gratified, and, at all events, suffers himself to be too easily imposed upon. Hence all these patents and monopolies under which we groan. The favorites must have their money, and as the king has little to give them, they raise as much as they please on the credit of his name. Thus everything is sold. Places, posts, titles, all have their price. Bribery and corruption reign everywhere. The Lord Keeper pays a pension to the Marquis, so doth the Attorney General, and simony is openly practiced, for the Bishop of Salisbury paid him thirty-five hundred pounds for his bishopric. But this is not the worst of it. Is it not terrible to think of a proud nobleman, clothed almost with supreme authority, being secretly leagued with sordid wretches whose practices he openly discountenances and contemns, and receiving share of their spoil? Is it not yet more terrible to reflect that the royal coffers are in some degree supplied by similar means? "'Tis enough to drive an honest man distracted,' Jocelyn said, "'and you cannot wonder at my indignation, though you may blame my want of caution. I have said nothing half so strong as you have just uttered, Master Wolfe. Ah, but my good young sir, I do not publicly proclaim my opinions as you do. My lord of Buckingham's name must no more be called in question than his majesty's. To associate the Marquis's name with those of his known instruments were to give him mortal offense. Even to hint at such a connection is sufficient to provoke his displeasure. But enough of this. My purpose is not to lecture you, but to befriend you. Tell me frankly, my good young sir, and be not offended with the offer. Will my purse be useful to you? If so, tis freely at your service, 
and it may help you in your present emergency, for though there is not enough in it to bribe the master to forego his purpose against you, there is amply sufficient to procure your liberation privily from the men. I thank you heartily, good Master Wolf, and believe me, I am not withheld by false pride from accepting your offer, Jocelyn replied, but I must trust to my own arm to maintain my liberty, and to my own address to regain it, if I be taken. Again, I thank you, sir. I grieve that I cannot lend you other aid, John Wolfe replied, looking compassionately at him, but my peaceful avocations do not permit me to take any part in personal conflicts, and I am loath to be mixed up in such disturbances. Nevertheless, I do not like to stand by and see outrage done. Concern yourself no more about me, worthy sir, interrupted Jocelyn. Perhaps I shall not be molested, and if I should be, I am well able to take care of myself. Let those who assail me bear the consequences. But John Wolfe still lingered. If some of my apprentices were only here, he said, and especially that riotous rogue, Dick Taverner, something might be done to help you effectually. Ha! What is that uproar? As a tumultuous noise, mixed with the cries of clubs, clubs, was heard without, coming from the direction of the wharf. As I live, the prentices are out, and engaged in some mischievous work and it will be strange if Dick Taverner is not among them. I will see what they are about. And as he spoke, he hurried to the oriel window, which looked out upon the wharf, exclaiming, Ay, ay, tis as I thought. Dick is among them, and at their head. For, heaven, they are attacking those ruffianly braggarts from Whitefriars, and are laying about them lustily with their cudgels. Ha! What is this I see? The Alsatians and the Myrmidons are routed, and the brave lads have captured Sir Francis Mitchell. What are they about to do with him? I must go forth and see. His purpose, however, was prevented by a sudden movement on the part of Sir Giles and his attendants. They came in the direction of Jocelyn Munchensee, with the evident intention of seizing the young man. Jocelyn instantly sprang to his feet, drew his sword, and put himself in a posture of defense. The Myrmidons prepared to beat down the young man's blade with their halberds and secure him, when Jocelyn's cloak was plucked from behind and he heard Madame Bonaventure's voice exclaim, "'Come this way. Follow me instantly.' Thus enjoined, he dashed through the door, which was instantly fastened as soon as he had made good his retreat. End of chapter 11